did an incredible job. I thought I was going to have to call some of you back. I'm excited to jump into the Word of God today as we're wrapping up our Extraordinary Relationship Series. Before I do that, I need to just look into the camera and say, I love you, Belle Chase. I need to look into the room and say, I love you, Paris Avenue. But I also need you to know that in four weeks, it is Resurrection Sunday. Can you believe that everything is kind of happening really, really fast? We're just four weeks away from lots of Reese's peanut butter cups running around the world right now. If you're ever wondering how to bless your pastor, I love the largest Reese's peanut butter cups you can find, all right? I put them in the freezer and I bless myself for months after <laughs> Resurrection Sunday. I do want to say that we're adding a service here at Paris Avenue on Saturday night, 6 p.m. that weekend, and I'd love for you to avail yourself of that. If you're inviting someone, uh, let me say it to you this way, if you're coming on your own, pick one of the early times or the Saturday times. Try not to come at the prime time. If, if you're bringing a friend and it's going to be their first experience, then, then grab them and make sure you get here early to get a seat. We're going to do everything we can to serve you well in every location. Uh, but I want you to know that it's probably the number one Sunday of the year only ask you to do this once or twice a year. It's probably the number one Sunday of the year that if you ask someone to come to church with you, that they're likely to accept your invitation. So would you prayerfully consider praying for someone for a week or two and then calling them saying, hey, we've got extra service times. I'd love for you to join us. I'll pick you up. I'll save you a seat. Come on Saturday. Come on Sunday. I want to encourage you to make sure that you're not the only one going to heaven in the people that you know. I want to make sure that you're inviting someone else to go to heaven with you. Amen, everybody? And so listen, don't feel lots of pressure, but pray for someone. Grab an invitation as you go today and invite them to church because we're just a few weeks away from uh, the really, uh, really tremendous time of worship. Now, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we're wrapping up our Extraordinary Relationship series and this series has really been all about kind of upping our relationships to the next level because ordinary really isn't working. Have you noticed? Has anybody noticed that ordinary, the world's plan, really isn't working? And so each week we've been taking the time to say, hey, uh, what really matters? The first week of the series, we said my heart really matters when it comes to relationships. Having the right heart will allow you to make some mistakes and get up for them. Having the wrong heart and trying to do the right thing almost never works. In week two of the series, we had our special marriage night. And how many of y'all attended marriage night? Come on, show me your hand real quick. Sure. Thank y'all, thank y'all. It was an incredible time. If you were unable to make it, I shared a message about overcoming marriage traps and living in God's plan. It is online if you'd like to watch it at onehopechurch.com. And then last week, my wife brought an incredible message, Pastor Amber, on, uh, on how to have healthy expectations regarding your relationships. Now, Belle Chase, you've got a treat. She's over there with you today to say hi at the end of the service. Uh, how many of y'all appreciate my wife and her preaching? Come on, can we honor her? I'm doing that to make myself feel better because she preaches just two, three, four times a year and y'all all tell me she's better than me, but she doesn't want to do it 40 or 50 times, so you're stuck with me. 
today as I give this message. We have a key verse for this series. Can I give it to you on every screen? Romans 12, 2. Would you read it aloud? Come on, every voice. It says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. We're trying to up our level of maturity when it comes to marriage relationships, friend relationships, church relationships, kid relationships, dating relationships. Come on, somebody, right? We need a culture that's looking to raise the level. We don't need to live down to the world's level of immaturity. We need to set our sights on what God really wants for us. And I believe some of us, some of us have kind of lowered the bar and just said, I guess I'm just going to have to live with him or her. I'm just going to have to go through the motions. Today, I want you to set your sights a little bit higher, that God wants us to have extraordinary relationships. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have noticed that everyone wants something from a relationship. There isn't a single person here today that you don't have some level of expectation for the people that you're in relationship with. You're married today? Come on, wives. You've got some expectations of your husbands, right? Uh, Husbands, come on. You've got some expectations on your wives. If you're single today, you've got some expectations on the guy who's coming to ask you out. Can I get an amen? Y'all didn't do it right there. All the single people are trying to pretend they're not single. But listen, listen. You've got to stop pretending if you want to find somebody. Can I get a better amen? We all need something and want something in relationship to other people. When I was first starting out, I'm a preacher's kid, so I grew up in and around church, and they used to say this line in church all the time. They would always say, you know, God just, God has someone for you. You just got to find your soul mate. So in light of that revelation, I decided that I would write a list of what my soulmate would look like. Anybody ever done this, right? I said, she's going to have this color. She's going to have this, this hair color, this eye color, this shape. Come on, somebody, I'm being bold. I'm like, she's going to look like this. She's going to have this personality. Essentially, she was going to like everything I like, do all the things that I wanted to do. So she was just going to be a female version of me. <laughs> Most people want to be with someone that mirrors what they want. But any of us who've been living for any amount of time in any kind of relationship, friendship, dating, marriage, any kind of relationship, you have discovered that there is not another you in the world. You're the only one with your gift mix, your personality, your design. You are one of a kind in the world, and it's beautiful. So what that means is no matter how hard you've searched, you've likely found someone that is not like you, does not look like you, does not like what you like. As they say, opposites tend to attract. In culture, we've tried to sum things up very simply, and this is the title of today's message. We just said, you know, what what does a man or woman really want? In culture, we've tried to say, well, women, 
Women just, or let me say it this way, women say men just want sex. But if that were true, every seductive woman would have the best man. This is going to be a good one, y'all. In culture, men say, well, women just want money. But if that were true, half of y'all wouldn't be married right now. Because when you first started out, you didn't have anything. So what culture has said is wrong. It isn't just sex and money. Because sex and money isn't what we really need. It's what we've been told we want or what will fill the inside of our lives. But it isn't true. What we say and think we want and what we really need are two different things. And it takes living a little bit. And finding God a lot to discover that the world's definition of a relationship is ordinary and negative and not what God really wants for you. Because we've approached relationships the way culture says, we all start with three things. Write it down with me. We all start with physical attraction. It's the first thing we say. You're going to go out with him or her? Is he hot? Is she hot? Do they look good? Am I attracted to them? And listen, that is okay. It is okay. It is not shallow to want to be with someone that's good looking. Can I get a good amen from somebody, right? And by the way, I think you should at least start out with someone that you're attracted to. There's nothing wrong with attraction. I think it's important. But exterior things can't fill interior needs. Plus, can I just, can I, can I just can I break it down for you 100 right now? Our physical bodies change. And it's likely when you first went out with him or her, that's the best he or she is ever going to look. <laughs> the Learning Channel, TLC, if you've ever watched it years ago, revealed a mass study and said that the average person doesn't even know how to define what they're attracted to. So the world is telling women they have to be a certain size. But the average guy can't tell a difference in a 4, 8, or a 12 dress size. Some of you ladies are striving for a size and dude's like, I don't know. You just look good. Physical attraction is important, but we misunderstand and we really don't realize that what we're highlighting as the most important thing really isn't. Fellas, you might have thought you need a six-pack in order to win a lady over. But how many of y'all know that two liters and a keg works too? <laughs> With physical attraction, what we're hoping for is number two, we're hoping for emotional connection. We're hoping that if you look good and I look good, that it's going to lead to something that makes me feel good. We're hoping that what I see on the outside is going to translate to something on the inside that is what I need for my life. I want to feel connected to you. But emotional health takes training. You don't just come out of the wound emotionally healthy. You don't just grow up in our social media-driven world and stay emotionally healthy. Just look at the statistics for the last 10 or 15 years. It's, it's corrupting our emotional health, and so we're looking for someone to be that 
what only God can be. I think attraction and connection are great. Without something deeper, we end up feeling empty. Which leads us to the most important part of a relationship. Write it down, number three, is that, that we would have a spiritual direction in common. We rarely start with the spiritual when we see with some. We always start with the physical. And that's okay, but healthy relationships, healthy friendships, healthy family, healthy marriage, it always comes down to a spiritual direction in common. Having a value system that we agree upon. This is the most important area, but most often neglected area. It's only when things go wrong that we realize that something's missing. Maybe today you're in a relationship at some level. You're like, you know, he, he looks good. She looks good. We're in this. We, we kind of enjoy one another. We've got a great emotional connection, but there's something missing. Yes, there is. What I've discovered after nearly 21 years of marriage is that when Amber, my wife, and I are at our worst, attraction and connection don't save us. A commitment to a spiritual direction is what makes all the difference. Attraction and connection may come and go, may ebb and flow, but when you find someone to be in a relationship with that you say, we're going that direction, come hell or high water, and if I stumble, you'll help me get up, and if you stumble, I'll help you get up, and if we do it all wrong for a day, we're going to wake up the next day and say, we're following God. Three of y'all, thank you so much. The rest of y'all, I know it was in your hearts. <laughs> Whenever I talk with someone that can't find what they're looking for, they start with this question, just 26 years of counseling now. What's wrong with me, Pastor? Am I not physically attractive? They hone in on some part of their body or their makeup and they're excessively trying to fix this area of their life so that maybe someone would like them this way or love them this way. And, and then if, they, if they've moved past that, what, what's wrong? How did I grow up? What I went through? I, I've got all this emotional baggage. How am I going to figure this out? They start looking internally, which, by the way, is, is a very good thing to do because you quite often find what you are. So if you're unhealthy and dysfunctional, you say, well, man, I keep dating unhealthy and dysfunctional people. It could be that you're unhealthy and dysfunctional, like begets like. I know that's not an amen moment. That's an oh me, pastor. Can we move on? But here's the reality. We often start inwardly, which I think is healthy. But just for a moment today, I want to take you, I want to take you deeper. I want, to, I want to help you to look beyond your one individual issue and I think it's important to start with you, but instead of only asking what's wrong with me, can we ask what's wrong with us? Why are we here as a society where we've got 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, and even 40-year-olds who are dysfunctional when it comes to relationships? That they're afraid of commitment. They're afraid of marriage. We've actually demonized marriage. We say, like, live it up while you're a teenager and in college because you're going to eventually marry that ball and chain. We've elevated a mindset of divorce through high school and college, and then we're telling you one day you're going to have to settle for that one person. Do you realize that that is not God's plan? That God's plan is put the ball and chain on yourself in high school and college. Amen, everybody? And then when you get married, come on, everybody. 
Every article and every study in society today finds Stanford or Yale or Harvard that finds the, the people who have the healthiest relationships, the marriages that have the most and best sex. You know what they all have in common? Monogamy and a common belief system of value and how they love one another. You want the best and the most? Sex in the city ain't doing it, everybody. Follow God's plan. Can I get a better amen? It works. But why are we here as a society? Can I give you four things? I'm going to take you down the rabbit hole, and I'm going to meddle a little bit. I talked to some of our team this week, and I'm like, I've got this in my heart, and it's kind of got, I got I'm going to meddle. And they said, when you meddle, we like it. So if you're one of those who doesn't like when I meddle, um, um, just, just, just take some notes, okay? Write down, write down a couple of things. Why are we here? I'm going to give you four reasons. These are not all of them, but these are the most prominent. Why are we here as a society? Number one is because of our educational environments. In the earliest stages of education, we're teaching children the wrong things. We're saying things like, you can be anything you want to be. That's not true. The American dream has become America's theology. You are not made, you, you are not made in the image of America. You are made in the image of God. And I hate to break it to you. You can't be anything you want to be. You are given a gift by God, a personality by God. You are made in the image of God. God has placed a passion inside of you and a gift inside of you and a calling inside of you. You have to become what God has designed you to be. But we're training the other thing. We're training that you're an accident. Or we're saying things like, ah, oh, you're ADD or ADHD or you're docile or you're insignificant, young ladies. We're, we've allowed this mindset to creep into education environments. And today I need you to understand what it's leading to is a society that's afraid to risk. We've got young men who don't want to commit to marriage because they're afraid. We've got young women who won't step out because they're afraid of what it's going to look like because marriage is not what's best. When I read my Bible, Genesis 1-1 looked at all you fellas and said, you're not good by yourself. I don't know why God did the man before the woman. I think he likes to mess with us. How many of y'all know that, right? He likes to have a little fun in the journey. But I think if he had done it the opposite way, he would have looked at you ladies and said, you're not good by yourself. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, train up. Come on, say those two words with me. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. I have subcontracted algebra and science and geometry to my kids high school because I do not like algebra and science and geometry, but I have not subcontracted their character. I've not subcontracted their value system. Y'all hearing me today, right? I am called as the, the father of a family to lead and develop healthy relationships with our children and to develop and train them in a direction. We're here because we've institutionalized education instead of realizing that your family, that God called you and I to train up our families. 
Going to depart from that very, very quickly. Not even in the area of education. Here's the second reason we are here as a society, and that is we have extreme gender language. We have terms like toxic masculinity and hyperfeminism, and these ideas have led to competing instead of complementing. Can I just be honest with you, young men, older men? God made you masculine. He did. 17 of you got it that time. It's okay. I think we're moving in a good direction. Maybe on the last one you all clap. You know, I don't know. Masculinity is, and men are made in the image of God in the same way that women and femininity is made in the image of God. They are different, but they are complementary. When you were in the womb, there was an, ablu- an amazing explosion, right, of testosterone or estrogen that formed you in one direction or another and made you a woman or a man, and God made us differently. But he made us all to be valued, to be loved, and this extreme language is disparaging and creating competing environments where we now have genders trying to compete in unhealthy ways, and it is tearing our society apart. Y'all want me to stop? All right, thank you. 20 of you right there. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Then what's it say? Then God just blessed men. Then God just blessed women. God blessed them, and then what's he say? Come on, read with me. Every voice, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern. I created difference intentionally. We have to learn to value our differences, to applaud our differences, to embrace our differences, to complement one another. Why are we here? We're trying to compete when we're supposed to complement. Number three, we've eliminated disciplinary standards. Hey, got to go back 40 plus years to find Dr. Spock who said we should just let children figure out right and wrong on their own. How's that working 40 plus years later? It's working out terribly. You know where children thrive? With healthy standards. With someone saying, this is right and that is wrong, this is right and that is wrong, I'm going to let you learn how to get better at doing what's right as you discover that there are rights and wrongs. But this idea that we can just say, you know, you can do whatever you want, do what feels good, it's not helping us. It's creating an unhealthy approach to sexuality. It's definitely created an unhealthy approach to all relationships. Children thrive in healthy, standard-rich environments. We believe as Christians that God determines what is right and wrong. Proverbs 19 and 18 says, So discipline your children while there is hope, otherwise you will ruin their lives. You want to ruin your kid's life? Let them do whatever they want. You want to build them into godly men and women? Set some boundaries. Tell them what time they go to bed. Tell them what time they wake up. Set time limits on their devices. Come on, parents. Figure it out. I got parents who say, I'm not good with that stuff. Well, get good at it because the world is better than we are at telling our kids what to do and where to go. We've got to be better. 
probably the least favorite verse on discipline. I'm just going to give it to you because when I grew up, we didn't get spankings or put in the corner. We got whoopings. Y'all know the difference, right? <laughs> Proverbs 13, 24 says, Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. I am not a proponent of any kind of abuse. Don't hear that. But I am a proponent of setting some standards and having consequences and pain associated when you decide to do the opposite. It is healthy for us parents. Today we've got young people that don't have a healthy fear of God or even believe in God because they were never taught by you respect and honor and healthy obedience. Can I just help you to understand this? When your children are literal, you represent God to them. So if they have an unhealthy view of God as a father, it's probably because of an experience they had in your fathering. Now, does that mean you've got to get it all right? No, you don't. Your pastor up here still has to apologize to his children. One day, one day, my son just made me so mad. Am I the only one? And I just, I mean, I just was like fussing, fussing, fussing. And then I just walked out like I dropped the mic. About 15 minutes later, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit works. Like, you were right in principle, but wrong in practice. And I walked down and I looked at my son and said, Son, what we talked about, I still feel very strongly that this is right and this is wrong. But what I did was wrong too. And I'm sorry for that. He says, Okay, Dad. Every once in a while, I feel that way too and act that way too. And I thought, my son is more mature than me <laughs> right now. We need to come back to the standard. We need to hold the standard. And when we fail, we'd be honest enough to say, I missed it too. The fourth reason we're here as a society is explicit imagery. I don't need to go too far down this rabbit trail, but explicit imagery has created a caricature of mankind an avatar approach to sexuality. We've created imagery that this is what a man's supposed to look like or a woman's supposed to look like. And then you go home or you live life and find that person is almost impossible to find because they don't really exist. You're looking at a billboard that's been touched up. You're looking at a video that's been faked. You're looking at things that have been put together to be something that God never intended for us. Healthy men and women have healthy imagery concerning each other. Men and women don't look like a pornographic magazine. Colossians 3.5 says, so, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you and have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. It's time for us to set limits on all sorts of things that have gained access into our lives because the education needs to change. The discipline needs to change. Our language regarding gender needs to change to come back to God. And what we're setting our eyes on needs to change. As Job 31.1 says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. 
I think it's time for us to make a covenant as a people to educate better, to discipline better, to manage our language regarding genders, to be honoring to God, and to protect our eyes and say, no, no, we're not going to pursue that. We're going to pursue this. We're going to elevate God's plan, God's image, God's way. When I began early in counseling, I discovered that so many men had had other experiences and women had other experiences and they were showing up to their friendship or their dating or their marriage now with, with expectations that had, been, that, that, that had not gone right. In the pre- they were carrying baggage from the previous letdown and, or they were, came into it with a good idea and been let down and there's baggage there. There's all these issues. What I really discovered is that most people still had an expectation that was unrealistic. And so I started teaching this practice in counseling that I still practice today as a husband. That whenever you see something or someone that seems to be attractive to you, you don't have to lie to yourself and say, oh, they're ugly, they're ugly. You could rather appreciate their beauty and say, oh, he or she is handsome or beautiful. But I add this one line since I am a married man. Whenever I see someone that I think is attractive, oh, oh she's beautiful, that, but she's got nothing on my wife. What am I doing? I'm educating myself and I'm training myself to set my eyes on imagery that is wholesome and godly and to bounce because I've made a covenant to a woman to honor God and to honor her and to honor my children. And though it may be hard in our society, I intend to keep my covenant. Hope you all appreciated the meddling in the middle. Can we get back to the big idea? Because some of you are like, Pastor, I saw your social media. You said you were going to tell me what a man really wants. And what a woman really wants. To be clear, can I just say it to you clearly? To be clear, our flesh wants it all. But what does a man or a woman really want? Men? Ladies? What a man really needs is affirmation. I know you've been told it's sex and it's food But what they really need is for someone to believe in them and to want them and to think that they hung the moon and to hear you say it. Yes, a full belly and sex, if you're married, may be the best way to affirm your husband. (laughs) But they need to hear you say, I believe in you. We're in this together. I love you. Affirmation is one of the most powerful things, and it's also the first thing that a woman withdraws when angry, is they focus on all the things you are not. And let me just tell you, if you focus all your attention on what someone is not, then you're just speaking into them the same spiraling mindset of like, I am not enough, I am not enough, I can't do it well. And if you would just stop speaking to the negative and speak to the positive and say, I see this in you, we're doing this together, look at what we've become, look at what we've overcome. That affirmation builds something in a man. I just got to tell you, the way men are made, that affirmation builds something in them that says, oh, we can do anything together. 
You think you need to look a certain way, ladies, or do it a certain way. or No, no, no. What they need is for you to affirm who they are and what you have together. Men, are you interested in what women really need? In the earlier service and this one, both times when I said, I'm going to tell men what women really need, all the men just leaned up and, like, grabbed the piece of paper. <laughs> you ladies were like, I got it. I'll remember that. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. But the dudes are like, no, no, tell me this. <laughs> whether you're single or whether you're married, you know what a woman really wants? They say money. No, no, it's not that. What a woman really wants is security. They want to know that what you have together is going to last, that you've built your life upon a foundation, that you believe in them and that you're going to protect them. Unconditional love and provision may be the best way to provide security, but let's be clear. You cannot have a lot of money and have an incredible, extraordinary relationship. Money is not security. Just read your Bible for just a little while. You do you discover that the Bible says over and over again that those who think that they are secure because they have money, that eventually it is all going to fall and collapse. Your security comes from God first and foremost. Amen, everybody? Amen. A man needs affirmation and a woman needs security. You say, Pastor, that's overly simplified. There will be other things, but almost always if a person feels secure, you will create a cycle where your spouse, girlfriend, the person you're pursuing a future with, if you give them affirmation to the man, he'll give you back security and you create a cycle of healthy engagement and healthy relationship that can last a lifetime together. What makes a relationship extraordinary? I want to close today with giving you just four things very, very quickly. Okay, if you're in the room, come join me on the stage. Here are four things that will help you to build an extraordinary friendship, four things that will help you to build an extraordinary dating relationship, four things that will help you to build an extraordinary marriage if you're in one because I believe ordinary is not working. Write these four things down with me. Here's the first thing. If you want to build an extraordinary relationship, number one, you need someone that is going to remember you. One of the best ways to affirm someone and to give security to them is to just simply remember them. It's amazing to me what sending a birthday message does to someone. It's amazing what it does when you just said, hey, I saw that your mother passed and I was thinking about you today. And I want you to know that my thoughts and prayers with you, listen, please, please, please don't think that you can, should walk by those moments where you remember people because I believe God is the one leading you. Matter of fact, as your pastor, I can't keep track of everyone, but every day that I think of someone, I send a message immediately. I believe it's God reminding me so that I can remember you. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy, he said, Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that was first 
your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Paul is saying, Timothy, I remember you. There's something powerful that changes a relationship when you remember someone. The thief on the cross that was dying there next to Jesus when he was suffering his most, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus said, surely I will remember you. Today, if you're carrying a weight and you feel alone in the pain that you're carrying, I need you to know that God has remembered you. He has provided a way for you to move forward. He has placed you in a beautiful family. He loves you. Extraordinary relationships begin when you remember someone. Secondly, extraordinary relationships, they remind you of things. They kind of come alongside and say, hey, hey, I see your potential. I see your calling. The best relationships, they see your potential and they call that out in you. Young people in the room, you're a teenager, you're in college right now. I want you to know that we as a church, we don't see you as the next, we see you as now. That this house is built for every generation to thrive and to be healthy and to have a place. And I want to remind you that you're made in the image of God. That when you serve behind a camera or you serve in a sound booth or you're in kids' church or you're, you're coming on vibe nights and hanging out, you're making it. I want to remind you of what God has called you to do. 2 Timothy 1, Paul says, This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Hey, church, you have a gift, and the best relationships come alongside and say, I see your gift. I'm not going to let you sit on it any longer. I see your gift. I'm not going to I'm not going to let you No, no. Hey, I'm calling out God's best inside of you. The psalmist says in Psalm 39, "Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and how fleeting my life is." Listen, you're only here for a short time. While you're here, let me remind you that you can worship one on Sunday and serve one. You've been given a gift that the body of Christ needs and the world around you needs. Here's the third, extraordinary relationships, they refine you. This is probably my least favorite one. Can I tell you that? The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. Friction creates growth. How many of y'all really love friction? Come on, none, none, none of you raise your hand right there. Like, you like, I, maybe I'll do it just to, to help you. Pat. No, no, none of us like it. Whenever my wife says, we, we really could get better here, I know it's going to be challenging. But extraordinary relationships, people say we can be better. Second Timothy 1 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for you. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For this is the line, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. God saved you for a holy calling. So I tell my kids all the time, hey, hey, we're a ministry family. 
we live our lives to help others follow Christ. Everything we do in life is about helping others to find and follow Christ. So even my kids are worshiping one and serving one. Why? Because we're, we're, we're refining each other and we're growing in the process. Here's the last and we close. Hope today's message hasn't been too heavy. I feel like since Kay started playing, we got real serious in the room. Okay, just stop for a moment. <laughs> Feel like the anointing just left, right? <laughs> All right, Kay, go ahead, go ahead back there. Number four, extraordinary relationships, they run with you. Whatever you're doing, we're doing it together. Hey, there's something, can I just tell you as your pastor, there's something about you being here today in person in Bell Chase and Paris Avenue, something about you saying, I'm in this with you. Let's do this together. Let's change our city. Let's run together. It creates extraordinary relationships. That's what it does. Timothy goes on to say, hold on then to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned of from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even that guy and that guy. <laughs> May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all his family because he often visited me and he encouraged me he was willing to run with me. He was never ashamed of my chains. You want to create an extraordinary friendship, an extraordinary dating relationship? You want to create an extraordinary marriage? Step back and say, I'm going to remember them. I'm going to remind them of their calling. We're going to refine each other and get better. But we are in this together. Amen, everybody? We are in this together to make a difference. Today, I believe if you'll live this way, that what you'll experience is extraordinary. As we close at every location, would you bow with me in prayer and reflection just for a moment? With every head bowed and every eye closed, that at some point in this service, maybe you sense the presence of God. And you're really not sure what to do with it. Maybe you just, there's this emotional thing going on. I want you to know that's God drawing you. Just for a moment of reflection, Every head bowed, every eye closed. I won't embarrass you. I won't ask you to stand. I, I will not ask you to come to the front. But if you're here today, you say, Pastor, I sense this drawing that God, that I'm far from God and I need God. This is your moment. All you have to do is surrender your life to God. If that's you, would you whisper this prayer? Say these words right after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. God, would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me for trying to live life my own way? And God, would you give me the power to follow you all the days of my life? In Jesus' name.